The views expressed on this special broadcast of the Take 12 radio show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. A very scary experience. You know, God is a solution. God the 12 step. I like where he's going here. Helps the community grow, helps us grow. Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie has done a phenomenal job. Lack of open-mindedness. And you're talking about taking people through a spiritual process and getting them into recovery. Thanks, Monty, uh, and thanks for all your support. We need spirituality to make this thing work long-term. It's an absolute pleasure. He certainly knows a lot of people. This is one of the places... It is about the business of the solution. And now, broadcasting on location somewhere in the vast expanse of the Pacific Northwest, it's the over-opinionated 12-stepologist, the Monty Man. Right, welcome to the show, my friends. You have tuned into Take 12 Recovery Radio here at Take12Radio.com on your internet dial. Welcome to the show. Uh, it is good to have you with us as always. Uh, listen, you can listen to the show in a number of ways. Uh, you can listen on iTunes. Uh, you can go to our website at Take12Radio.com, type in T-A-K-E, the number 12, or the word 12, either way, radio.com. You can click to the listen uh, uh, live online button. You can click to the watch online button. That's our YouTube version, audio version. You can follow us on Podomatic. You can download our app from Podomatic and become a Podomatic member. And there you can comment on the shows. You can like us on there. That helps us with our demographics. Uh, and I said, as I said, iTunes. Uh, we also, uh, you can get the Podomatic app for Android if, if you are a uh, not an iPhone user. And uh, you can download our, our show so you don't take any, up any of your data. You can sync it to your Bluetooth in your car, for crying out loud. Listen, there's there's really no reason not to tune in to Take 12 Radio. We're here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I have to tell you, I, I am just tickled to death to be coming into uh, the year 2016 with my guest this week, the author of eight books and producer of other successful films, Mr. Borchert, William Borchert, is perhaps best known for uh, the story uh, of Bill W. My name is Bill W. Uh, the story of the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, starring James Woods, James Garner, and Joe Beth Williams. Uh, by the way, Bill also wrote the highly acclaimed movie When Love Is Not Enough about the founding of Al-Anon, starring writer and Barry Pepper. Uh, he is the author and screenwriter uh, of a, n- a, n- a number of different things. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, Bill has been on the show a number of times. We always love to feature him when he comes out with a new book. He's written a new book called How I Became My Father, A Drunk. And so we're going we're gonna to go to our first break instead of doing it later on in the show. We're going to do that right now. I want to get that out of the way so we can give as much time to Bill uh, as we possibly can here. And we'll have one other break 
uh, about midway during the show. Our email address is take12radio at comcast.net. So hold on to your recovery horses. You do not want to miss this interview with my guest, William Borchard, when we come back. When you hear that bell, you'll know it's time for Recovery 101. Recovery 101 with Bruce Shelley and Mark is a recovery broadcast based loosely on 12-step recovery programs. But it's less like a meeting and more like going to coffee afterwards. You know, the meeting after the meeting. Your hosts used to suffer from insanity, but now they absolutely, unapologetically enjoy it. That's right. For incredible fun and informative recovery radio, tune in to Recovery 101 at recovery101.net on your internet dial. All right, and we have returned, and uh, please check them out. There's just great folks down in Southern California broadcasting worldwide via the Internet. Um, Bill Wilson, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, was no saint uh, to his own admission, but he realized that if he wanted to stay sober, he needed to talk to another alcoholic. What he decides to do in this sound clip from the movie My Name is Bill W., as depicted uh, in this scene... Uh, is the reason AA exists today. Check this out. Walter Tunks. Thank you, Reverend Tunks. Thank you. Yeah, 5 p.m. The gatehouse of the Cyberling Estate. It's Mrs. Henrietta Cyberling. And, and the name of the man I'm going to meet again is Robert Smith? Dr. Robert Smith. Yes. No, yes, I have it all. Thank you again. All right, that is James Woods playing uh, the role of Bill Wilson in the movie. My name is Bill W. Uh, Really, the most watched movie for television ever produced. And uh, the gentleman who wrote this is my guest this week, William Borchert. But he's written other things as well. William, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Monty, good to talk to you again, Monty. How are you? I, I'm, I'm doing well, and, and thank you so much for, for opening up uh, our brand-new year, 2016, with our, our first guest interview uh, of the year. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure, my friend. Well, I consider it a privilege, Monty. Thank you very much for asking me again. A- absolutely, absolutely. Now, now that scene where we just heard Billy, he's, he's in the hotel lobby. Can you explain that a little bit to the listeners? Well, um, you know, Bill uh, had gotten sober uh, through, uh, through a, a spiritual experience at Towns Hospital. And, um, and then he got an assignment uh, from Wall Street to go to handle a proxy fight in Akron, Ohio. And uh, the proxy fight, he lost it, so he was really down. And he was pacing the lobby and, uh, and, uh, of the Mayflower Hotel and uh, suddenly realized uh, that instead of picking up a drink, maybe he could talk to another alcoholic and that way he stay sober like he had done before. And, and that's when he reached out. And, uh, and through a minister found um, a, another drunk in Akron, Ohio, who was actually a physician named Dr. Robert Smith, Robert Holbrook Smith. And, um, and together they found uh, they could stay sober. Uh, Dr. Smith said that Bill Wilson was the first one that ever understood 
what uh, his problem was all about. And, uh, and that's what uh, that's what gave birth to Alcoholics Anonymous, two drunks who understood what their problems were all about, and um, they uh, and then they had found a third guy, a lawyer, and uh, and uh, before you knew it, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous began to grow. It's just a marvelous, marvelous story. You know, Bill, it, it, it's it's so um, it's so almost starts out like like an iconic. You know, joke. You had two drunks and a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, usually two drunks don't need a lawyer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I used the word iconic, but I mean, it, it has to be humbling for you to 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 be one of the names associated so strongly with probably the most watched television program ever in existence. I mean, this is an iconic. TV program. I, I, I mean, I just found you know I only found that out a few months ago, Monty. Yeah, uh, through friends of mine at uh, ABC and uh, that that uh, first aired the show and that Hallmark Hall of Fame, and uh, they told me that this was the most what this is the most watched yeah. television movie ever ever made, and it blew me away. But then as I began to think about it. You know, when God makes a movie, it has to become the most watched movie. There you go. Because because God made this movie, I I was just a, a companion along for the ride. Yeah. And I'm not being I'm not being overly modest or or anything else. That's the, that's what happens. You know, when you when you uh, turn your will and your life over to the care of a higher power. Yep. And let him run the show. He uh, he does a hell of a job. You know? Well, yeah, and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, you know, he he's the father, he's the director, we're his children, you know, we're his agents, and we're mm-hmm. to be about the business of serving God and our fellows, and I just want to thank you for being obedient to that, that call. Um, well, it, it really is as simple as that, and I'm not a holy roller, I'm not right. an overly religious or spiritual guy, I just understand uh, since I've gotten sober, what the truth is. Yeah, you know? there you go. And, uh, you know, I I, uh, I I stumbled across the truth in sobriety. I it was a very unfamiliar thing at that point <laughs> because I, I hadn't paid much attention to it while I was drinking, you know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> but, I understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and that, by the way, um, as you know, and, uh, you know, and as I think you've intimated it, I've written other movies, and you know what I do these days is basically most of what I do anyway is is dedicated to carrying the message of recovery, uh, which the world desperately needs. You know, and, yes, uh, and that's why most of the books that I write and movies that I write uh, these days are, are have something to do with recovery. And, and, and you uh, know, you've had your hands in screenwriting other films. I, I mean, you're no you're no stranger to Al Pacino. You're no stranger to well, Raquel Welch. I didn't write it. I didn't write those. Uh, I had uh, I, I was a partner. Right. I had three partners at that point in a company in New York called Artists Entertainment Complex, which was a it's an independent motion picture production company, and we got together, and uh, an investment banker took us public, so we had a lot of money. And uh, and we made movies. That's that, that, that's how I got involved. I had been writing corporate movies, but um, uh, now I had a chance to really get involved in in big motion pictures. And, and we made some really nice ones, as you said. We produced Serpico with Al Pacino and Door Day Afternoon with Al Pacino. And we we did a movie called Kansas City Bomber with Raquel Welch. 
And as I and as I like to say, watching Rockell Welch back in those days, skating <laughs> around a roller rink and, and black tight fitting leather pants was like having a spiritual experience in itself. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yes, it was great. It was great. So yeah, I've been I've been I've been really blessed. God has been. But then 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 when I came to realize that uh, you know why I've been blessed, you know I came to realize I had an obligation. I had a debt to repay. I mean, yeah. you can't be given this kind of a gift, you know, of sobriety with, with all the wonderful things that comes with it and not feel guilty for not paying back. So, uh, and, uh, so I had the opportunity to meet Bill Wilson and an opportunity to get to know through my wife, Lois Wilson, really well with Lois and, and my wife and I were close friends right. for 15 years before she passed away. And, and uh, that's what got me started, uh, you know, writing you know, about recovery. Right. Right. And, and, and later we're going to hear a sound clip, um, from uh, the the uh, movie uh, When Love Is Not Enough, the Lois Wilson story, uh, when we come back from our break. But uh, but before we get get into all that, I want the listeners, and I'm going to refer to this several times during the show, um, you can go to William's website at williamborchert.com, uh, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-B-O-R-C-H-E-R-T.com. You can follow the links uh, here at Take12Radio.com as well. Uh, if you'd like his book, you can go directly to Amazon.com. Uh, the book is How I Became My Father a Drunk. Now, now, uh, Bill, you've written you've written other books. Uh, what made you decide to take this one on? Uh, this this was my eighth book, um, and I'm working on another one right now. As a matter of fact, what decided me to take it on is I was speaking at a big convention down in Florida, uh, and. Um, and for some reason or other, I noticed there was a lot of people, a lot of people in the audience that had my color hair, which is kind of tinged with gray these days. <laughs> and so I started talking about my dad and and, uh, and what a rough relationship we had, because he was a terrible alcoholic. Uh-huh. And and I came to hate him, and I swore I'd never be anything like him. And then when I found alcohol, I not only became like him, I became worse. And But then, then he found some, I found sobriety, he found sobriety, and we became... The closest friends you'd ever want. I mean, I just came and fell in love with him. I, I respected him. He became, he became a very spiritual person. Uh, he and my mother fell in love again, and it was just healed the whole family, both both his family and mine. And, uh, and that's what happens in recovery. You know, the families get healed. And so the chairman of that convention asked me if I ever thought about writing a book about that subject. And I said, why would I want to go through all that pain again? You right, know? sure. I, said, I, don't, I don't like pain and discomfort. <laughs> He said simply, he said, because it could help a lot of people. And that rang a bell, because that's what I'm for, and that's right. what we're all for, to help other people. And uh, so he said, think about it. So I thought about it, and I talked to my sister, I talked to my brother, and they agreed to, uh, you know, also uh, dig up some old memories and whatnot. And so, uh, and then I found a cigar box that my <laughs> mom had given me two days after my father died, and it was filled with my father's thoughts about recovery, his thoughts about life, his thoughts about, you know, the things that he had done wrong and maybe, and it was able to correct it. And it was God handing me a gift, you know? And so when I had all that material and all of, and, and it's amazing what you can remember, you know, when you start thinking about it, you dust off the old memory lines and it all comes back. And so I sat down and I wrote this book and it's called How I Became My Father, A Drunk. And, um, it was. It came out in November. It was published in November, and uh, and it's getting some really nice reviews. And uh, and I'm getting calls and emails from people who I really identify with it, 
you know, about sure. the relationships with their parents, you know, because families really get sick when the, when the alcoholic, drug addict, they, you know, they bring the disease into the family and it tears families apart. And that's another reason why I wanted to write it, to show families that there is a way out. There's a way out. There's a way to, not only a way out, but a way to a wonderful new way of life, far beyond our wildest dreams. I mean, my life has become incredible, and my father's and mother's was too. And, and because, you know, God's gift is, is incredible, you know, it's a... It you know, is. And, and, and he gives us this gift for a very simple reason, so that we can help others who are in trouble. That's it. That's it. You know? That's it. That's you, it. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, you say something that some of the listeners, uh, uh, you know, might be scratching their heads uh, about. We have a lot of different people that listen to this show. We've got people in recovery, people that maybe they should be. <laughs> and, right. Right. And, 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 and certainly we have lots of family members of uh, that tune in. Um, one of the things that you, you, you say here that is the most baffling part of the disease of alcoholism is you say, and I quote, it seemed like no matter where I went or who I was with, I was surrounded by the diabolical effects of drinking. So why would I ever want to pick up a drink myself when I got older? And that is now you and I know the answer to that, but, but a lot of people don't. So, so why Bill? It's very simple. It's very simple. Alcoholism and drug addiction it's a disease. It's an addictive disease. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, because the, the body of an alcoholic and a drug addict is different than the body of, a, of a, uh, another person. Yeah. Uh, just like some people get cancer, others don't. Some people get diabetes, others don't. You know, some people get heart disease, others don't. And some people get alcoholism and others don't. But when you get it, you become powerless because it's a threefold disease. It's not just physical. It's mental and spiritual. So an alcoholic walks around constantly thinking about having a drink. He's got a mental obsession. I had a mental obsession, you know. Stone cold sober, right? Stone cold sober. Yeah. I I thought drinking was a friend of mine. It made me feel better. Sure. I thought it made me a better writer, a better newspaper reporter, a better lover, a better everything, you know. (laughs) Uh, And that's, that's why it's so cunning, baffling, and powerful. Because it allows you to think that way as it draws you into its claws, you know? And then once it's got you, it does hell. It pays, you've got to pay the price, man. It's like when you go into a bar and sit down, it's like the bar is filled with the crazy glue. You can't get your ass off the stool even though you want to. You know, I go to Monaghan Saloon and just for a couple of drinks, and then I, I wanted to go home and have dinner with my family. And I couldn't get my fanny off the stool. I couldn't understand why. Now... You know, non-alcoholics find it difficult to understand that. Well, I find that my wife has diabetes, and I find it difficult to understand her, her disease, too. Sure. But that's that's the way it is, and, and it's, it's difficult to accept the fact that alcoholism is a disease because what it does to the alcoholic physically and mentally. We act crazy, we do crazy stuff, you know, and... Uh, uh, and it's just all part. We do anything to have another drink, to get another drink, to get the price of another drink or another drug. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep I keep mentioning drugs now because today, in this day and age, more people, you know, uh, become dual addicted. You know, sure. young people in particular. It's, you know, they get on these pharmaceuticals and and they and they get addicted to pharmaceuticals and and the next thing you know, they're hooked on drugs and alcohol. Um, so that most of the people today are, are, are what I call dual addicted, not just 
to alcohol or to drugs, but to both. You know? Right, right. Oh, a- absolutely. Now, y- y- you made reference to the obsession uh, of the mind, and that can happen. Uh, listeners, I, for those of you who don't know, uh, the obsession of the mind can happen when you're stone cold sober. And yeah, you're thinking things like, you know, this time it'll be different. I'll be able to drink like a gentleman. Uh, maybe I'll just control my drinking. And of course, the show never goes off very well. Um but you you make mention of the obsession of your father's drinking, uh, even when your mother was sick, and you and, and you watched him struggle with the obsession. So so how old were you when you started realizing your dad was having such an issue? Well, I didn't understand what was going on when I was right. a kid. I didn't understand that at all, and that's why I came to hate him. I mean, I kept saying, "How could anybody do this?" As I, as I say in the book, my almost my mother almost died of of appendicitis, it it, it, it it broke in her, in the, in, and she got, um, you know, that, that poison in the system, and she almost died, and yet he's out there drinking, you know? Yeah. He's not taking care of it. He didn't be, he wasn't home when it happened, so he couldn't take it to the hospital, but she was out there drinking, and uh, and I couldn't, I loved my mother, and I couldn't understand why he would do this to my mother, neither could my sister and brother, and um, because you, you just can't understand why someone would do things to somebody that they allegedly love, you know? Yeah. Uh, terrible things, you know? And, and, and of course, I never had a father growing up. When, you know, the other fathers were playing ball with their kids, my father was falling out of drunken taxi cabs on the street in front of me when I was playing stickball, you know? Sure. Um, and, and the embarrassment and the shame. And, it, and uh, but I didn't understand. I couldn't understand. And, by the way, when I, it was not just my father. It was throughout my whole family at home. My whole family was riddled with alcoholism, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and even when I started drinking myself, you know, um, you know, I knew I could I could handle it. I could, I could control it. You know, I thought, you know, and um, and I was going to show my father how to be a better drinker. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the insanity of this disease is incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, and people, pe- people, alcoholics, alcoholics will try. I mean, we, you know, people out there that don't understand, they think, well, we we'll just pray that some cataclysmic thing will happen and, and that'll change them. You make mention of something that was quite powerful that happened um, when the attack on Pearl Harbor took place. Your dad actually cut back on his drinking um, mm-hmm. with, with all, but that didn't stop it either. No, he no, and he wanted and he wanted to join the army. You yeah. Know, he went, and he was very mad at the army that they wouldn't draft him. But he, you know, back then, if you had more than three kids, they wouldn't they wouldn't draft you. And uh, that was an excuse for him to keep drinking because he was now mad at the army and mad at because he wanted to kill all the Germans and all the Japs and all that kind of stuff. You know? Right, right. And, uh, and and my mother, my mother realized that he just wanted to join the army so he could now be free to drink without anybody interfering with him. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that's what it was really all about. And, uh, sure, but. I, well, what's amazing? What is amazing, though, and and I, and I we can talk about this a little bit more. But uh, you know, as they say, I became an alcoholic too, and and wound up like my father, you know, uh, blowing every opportunity that was given me. I had a great career in the media. I was when I was nineteen, I was a newspaper reporter and writer for the largest Indian newspaper in the world, the New York Journal American in New York, and. I had bylines and traveling around the country and covering major stories, the biggest stories of the time. And, and, uh, and then, I, then I went from there to writing for magazines, writing radio shows. I had great opportunities. But the more I drank, the more trouble I got in. 
and they wound up drinking my way out of their business and winding up sleeping in three bag hotels. And, mm. and then when I got sober, you know, life began to change. And, uh, and whoever knew I would wind up <laughs> a, a low down drunk who wanted to kill himself by throwing himself down an air shaft, winds up, you know, writing a movie, you know, yeah. about uh, the, you know, the close to the program that saved my life. And it's incredible. And, uh, Absolutely and, phenomenal. And, and, and even at my age, and, uh, you know, I, I just passed 49, as you know, um, my life gets better every day because sobriety is an incredible gift. And, uh, and anybody can have it. Anybody can have it. It's really given by the higher power. And all we got to do is want it and then take care of it. Right, Monty? Yep, that's, that's it. And so, sometimes it seems so simplistic that we, some people get scared and they, and they don't take it. I, I, you know, there's a, a gentleman that I started sponsoring here a few weeks ago. Um, and he went in for back surgery um, he didn't call me. I didn't even know he was going in for it. He got scared and went out and decided that he was going to have a, you know, a little bit of, uh, indulgence of substances before his back surgery. And he didn't come out of his back surgery alive. He passed away the other day. Um, oh, God. Oh, wow. you know, and, and we watch this stuff happen and we see these things happen when it just doesn't have to be that way. Does it? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. But uh, but but it, it, it is such, as I said, a baffling and powerful disease. Yes. Uh, that and it affects us mentally to the point where we don't think there's a way out. You know. You know, and this guy was he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't evil. He he wasn't he, he, this horrible individual. He was just very sick. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the sad part about him is not just it doesn't. It's not just that it affects. The individual, right? You know, like you and I, or my dad, it affects all those around us. Every alcoholic, yes, affects at least six or seven other people. Okay, yeah. Now that means that means, according to statistics, there are forty-four million alcoholics in the United States. That means if they affect five or six other people, there are over two hundred and fifty million people in this country impacted by the disease of alcoholism, mm-hmm. and so many of them don't know what to do or where to go. And that's another reason why I wrote this book. Yeah. How I became my father a drunk. If, if, and if they read it, and I hope, sure hope they will, they'll find that there is a way out. You bet. You bet. WilliamBorchert.com is the web address. Follow the links here at Take12Radio.com. You can also go to Amazon.com and, and order the, the book as well. I encourage you listeners to get a copy of this. Um, you're going to want to pass this on to somebody after you read it, I guarantee you. We're going to be right back. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. More with my guest, William Borchard, author, screenwriter, and good friend in recovery. Don't go away. Men, women, and their families experience tremendous pain and suffering due to the struggles they face from substance abuse and its co-occurring mental health challenges. They need to find a safe place for peace and healing. Therapia Addiction Healing Center was born out of a deep desire to provide that safe and powerful healing environment. Therapia exists to help people recover from addictions by developing and maintaining healthy, meaningful relationships with God, self, and others. To speak with an addiction specialist, call 1-855-652-4325. 
That's 1-855-652-4325. Or visit our website at www.therapia.net. Therapia Addiction Healing Center. Restoring lives one step at a time. All right. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, so glad that, that you've joined us today. Remember, our email address is take12radio at comcast.net. William Borchardt is my guest this week. An inspiring and courageous new book probes the intimate details of a family devastated by the disease of alcohol addiction and then blessed by recovery. How about that? Uh, William Borchardt is, is my guest. Uh, while focusing on the belligerent, often hateful relationship between a father and his son stirred by abusive drinking that affects the entire family. The true story also highlights their startling and miraculous coming together through recovery. Uh, I want you to hear this soundbite. This is um, from uh, my, uh, When Love is Not Enough, the Lois Wilson story. You talk about a relationship between two people of tremendous love and commitment. Here is uh, Winona Ryder uh, talking with her, uh, played by uh, Barry Pepper, her husband, Bill W., in this scene from the television show. Listen to this. You've been with me all these years, and you have no idea what I've been through. You're my husband, and I can't depend on you at all. I have prayed and I have fought for you like no one else. Why wasn't my love enough to make you stop? Wow. Uh, that, yep. that question yep. has been, been asked by thousands of spouses, true? Millions. Yeah, millions. millions. Well, millions all over the world. Why, why, why? That question was constantly asked of me. Why? Why do you do it? Why? Is it something I did? I mean, is it why, why, why? And there's no answer. I mean, except the fact that you know, you're an alcoholic is suffering from a disease that he's powerless over yeah. until he finds the power through God to do something about it. And um, when I say through God, through the God-given program of twelve steps yeah. to recovery, that's that's the key. That's the key. And moment of when I. You know, I, I had, uh, uh, how should I put it, uh, a lot of uh, painful memories when I wrote that scene because it was like, you know, just taking the words out of my wife's mouth as I stood there, oh. helpless in front of her, you know? And uh, and uh, and this was, by the way, after Bill got sober. Right. You know? Right. You know? And uh, and he wanted to go off and save the world yeah. and, and, and wasn't paying any attention to Someone who also needed to be saved, a wife, a wife that he claimed he loved, you know, and um, so uh, that's that's what happened. Yeah. So then, me... Bill, then Bill wised up and he came to realize he owed, <laughs> he owed not only uh, other people amends, but he owed his wife tremendous amends, and he made up and he made up for a lot. So, uh, did you ever experience? Um... Uh, this is something that happened, happened with with my wife. If he, if people would come to her. This was after I I was you know had done my first formal working of the steps. I was in service. I was you know all that stuff that goes with it. 
And they would tell her, you know, man, Monty's such a great guy, and he does this for everybody and that for everybody. And, they, and, and you know, and she'd get mad because she's like, you don't know him like I know him. Yep, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. Oh my goodness! One of, one of the things, one of the things I was told early on in sobriety was that I needed to bring what I learned in the rooms at the twelve step program and bring that home. You know? Yeah. Uh, one of one of the first things that that really kept me coming was something we call unconditional love. Mm. I was touched by unconditional love. Every person in that in that group, uh, the Woodhaven group, I could tell just wanted to help me in the worst way. Willing to go to any to, to any length to help me, and uh, and that kind of love, I needed to bring home because I had never shown that kind of love in my home before. Sure. And when I began to try to show that kind of love, things began to change. You know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It was it was really wonderful. By the way, I want to just say, while this is on my mind, that you know the book that I wrote, uh, you know how I became my father, a drunk, is not a downer. No, I mean, sure, it's a tough story, but but it, it it has what I call a happy ending. I mean, and all through it, there are funny and you know nutty anecdotes um, and, inter- and and interesting historical moments. You know, because it's it covers a uh, you know fifty years and uh, and uh, you know so I wanted to make it uplifting, not just I'll make it in- inspirational and uplifting, not just you know down. We have to go through the pain to get to the recovery, but uh, uh, and then the recovery is just wonderful. So it's not a downer. It's what well, I think. Uh, I try to write a love story, you know. Yes, and and it, it definitely is. Let me let me quote Andrew Putcher, uh, president of the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. He says, uh, "Bill Borchard's dramatic and heart wrenching new book." Uh, uh, describes the often crazy, unpredictable, and tragic lives of those growing up with an actively alcoholic parent, how the children are impacted, and how some may unwittingly follow the same path. Happily, and I underline happily, in this case, Bill also shares the joy of recovery for himself, his dad, and their families. Um, yeah, yes, so you're right, because so many times we'll read stories or we'll even hear stories we get the we get all the pain we get all the mess mm-hmm. and and we don't we don't hear the the wonderful outcome as a result of applying and implementing the principles in these steps right and, and you've right. covered that very well this this book is very well balanced it just doesn't leave you with a horror story good i'm glad i'm glad it came across that way and, yeah and i'd like to i'd like to just suggest to everyone who's or anyone who's listening who's in recovery to make sure they talk about the good things that are happening to them in recovery, as well as the bad things that happened to them when they were sick. I think it's very important, particularly for newcomers in the 12-step program, to understand that there's a great life beyond, you know, beyond yeah. once, once they get sober. But we need uh, people who are, have recovered, who are in, uh, you know, have recovered. I believe we, we recover. I do, too. We're not continuing in recovery. We recover. We recover. We need to share the fact that you know we we've got our family back and and uh, we're back in in church. We're uh, we're uh, we've got a new job. It's not bragging. It's sharing yeah. the good things that happen. As, as you know, because if we're constantly constantly going to share the bad stuff. That's going to discourage everybody. You know. I mean, you know, I didn't come into a coast to a program to to live in the past. 
you know? Yeah. I want to live in the present with a great future. And uh, and when you talk about your great future, I want that. And then uh, and I know if I... Uh, my sponsor said to me one day, I'll never forget it. He said, if you stay sober, things will get better whether you want them to or not. <laughs> <laughs> they just do. They just do. So let me let me ask you this. Okay, yeah. you, you, you've been around the block a few times. I mean, come on. And, and here's the deal. Um, we have been watching for some time now uh, a, a different shifts in different directions, depending on the weather, sometimes just depending on the day, going on within the fellowship, uh, within the different 12-step fellowships. Uh, and sometimes the shifts seem to be very positive, and sometimes they, it feels like we're getting further away from what Bill, Bob, and, and, and alcoholic number three and the rest of them were even talking about. Do, do you have a concern for where the fellowship is today? Yes and no, Monty. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, this is this is this has happened over the years. I mean, don't forget, uh, you know, when AA was in its uh, uh, relatively relative infancy, you know, yeah, when it was like uh, eight, nine, ten years old, uh, there were there were you know, fellowship groups around the country that were setting up their own rules and regulations, you know, and. Uh, they were they were supporting political campaigns. Yeah. You know, they were they were they were, you know, um, you know, having having fundraising, you know, uh, meetings, gatherings and serving beer to non alcoholics, you know, while the other alcoholics had their tongues out, you know. Yeah. They were doing crazy crazy stuff. Which is why Bill and Doctor Bob, you know, wrote the twelve traditions, uh, to, to, to pull it to pull the post that program back together. Right. And so it's it's always being, you know, the you know, alcoholics are—you know—can be strange people at times, and uh, and don't forget, every alcoholic—I I don't know about you, but every alcoholic I ever met has got an ego that can hardly fit through the door. Sure, pants maybe their pants may be stained and 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 wet from you know going into them, uh, yeah, <laughs> to being in them, but yet their head is so big they think that they're God Almighty, you know. Yeah, and even sometimes when they get sober, they don't lose that big ego, and they think they know more. You know, to, to uh, then Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, and particularly what I call in, so-called uh, intellectuals or people who think they're intellectual. You know, that they they, they think that sometimes the course of the program is outdated and these they go bring, be brought up to the times, and that maybe our anonymity is outdated and all this other kind of garbage. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, they'll come and they'll go, and sometimes it'll you know there'll be a real threat, and sometimes uh, they they won't be so. You know, I've been around, I, you know, I, I, as you know, I've been sober now 53 years. Yeah, congratulations, so, by the so, way. Thanks. So I've seen a lot, uh, you know. and um, But because of the, the 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 strength of the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, uh, that, uh, you know, it, it'll, 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 it, it, it survives all that stuff. It, it works itself uh, out. Uh, do, do, do you see, I, I guess the thing that, that concerns me, and then and then we'll move on from this, but I think one of the things that concerns me is, is, at least in my area out here in Oregon, I see a lot of people becoming meeting dependent um, uh, instead of God dependent. And, and it concerns me because when they can't get to a meeting, they're in, they're in deep weeds, you know? Um, and, and it seems to be something that's taught a lot, you know, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, don't drink in between meetings. And, and, you know, if you're an alcoholic, like I'm an alcoholic, we're asking people to do something that's impossible. 
without without you know, God that, in their that, life. That, that can be a danger, and that's why that's why sponsors need to make sure that the people that they sponsor know that the reason they come to twelve step meetings is so they can live out in the world, not just within the rooms. Yeah, you know we don't we don't come in to call into a cocoon, right? You know, and 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 to stay safe. You know, we need to live, we need to live our the sobriety opens up the door to life, and uh, and so while we you know while I I still make three or four meetings a week, and if, uh, you know if I got a brand new guy I'm sponsoring, I'll make a few more, but um, you know. You know, it's it's um, it, it's important to attend meetings because that's our medicine. But you know, to to to, to do all you need to make seven meetings a week, and you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, give us a break. You know, we yeah, to, uh, yeah. My sponsor used to say, "You wear this program like a a comfortable fitting suit." You know, you know, not not like you're in a in a lady's girdle and a, with a noose around your neck. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and my listeners probably get tired of me saying this, but I, I like to quote Chris S., who, who says, you know, the treatment for alcoholism, it's, it's like if you have cancer and you're sitting around in the waiting room talking to other cats, cancer patients about their cancer, that's not the treatment for cancer. You got to go no. into the doctor and sit down and do what he tells you to do. That's the treatment. So the treatment for alcoholism isn't sitting around in a meeting talking about your alcoholism. It's mm-hmm. it's what's in these steps. It's this book. It's the directions that you follow, and sometimes we we get away from that. So you're right. We need sponsors. We need people to to make the approach. I mean, they used to make the approach, and, and so many times they think we're not doing that enough. You know, we're waiting for the person to come to us. And I, I don't know about you, but today when I go to a meeting, I think my job is to to listen to where I can be of maximum service to God and my fellows. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, not just to talk to talk, but to you know, it's. I know it's tried. It sounds like it's just trivial, but it's but it's very meaningful when we talk about. We don't talk to talk; we walk the walk. Right. Because if we don't put these twelve steps in our life, what's the sense of going to a meeting? That's crazy. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know. The book is uh, How I Became My Father, a Drunk by William G. Borchert. The uh, website is williamborchert.com. You can follow the links here. Uh, Bill, t- tell the story about uh, Petey the Duck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, first, first of all, I just want to repeat like you did earlier. Yeah. Uh, you, you spell Borchert, capital B for boy, O-R-C-H-E-R-T. Right, you pronounce it like pronounce it like an orchard with a B in front of it, but it's B O R C H E R T William. And may I just uh, say, may I just say, uh, Bill, that that I'm very proud of myself because the first time we met over the phone, we've met in person too out at at the core conference, I think. But the first time right. we met over the phone, I actually pronounced your name correctly, and you congratulated me. I packed. That's right. I shook your hand very strong. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us about Petey the Duck. <laughs> yeah, well, it's Alsatian. That's why it's tough. You know, and, and my grandmother was known as Boucher, and my grandfather was known as Borchardt, you know. <laughs> but uh, but once they landed in uh, Ellis Island, it became Portrait. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. B-O-R-C-H-E-R-T, William G. And that's my website, as you said, com. And uh, and when they just click on books and movies, and they'll find all of my movies and all of my books there. Yeah. And uh, particularly my new one. And uh, but anyway, yeah, Petey the Duck. I um, uh, my neighbor, my neighbor gave me. Uh, it was Easter time, and uh, gave me. He had four ducks that were born, little chickies, you know, and gave me one. 
and I raised I raised him, and uh, and uh, yeah, and he got pretty big after a year or so. Uh, and I called him Petey, and he used to eat the corn out of my hand, and it was just great, you know. Uh, my father really wasn't around that much to, <laughs> but my mother, my mother was, you know, was, you know, let me have the talking, and and, um, and in the cold, rainy days, we put him down in the basement, you know, in uh, in a little room in the basement, and and, and I'd feed, go down and feed him and pet him and whatnot. Summer, spring, and summer and fall, man, I had him out in the yard all the time, and my friends they come over, and I mean, so I, he was my best friend. I mean, yeah. he really was, particularly in those times when. You know, if we have a drunken father in the house and a, and a screaming mother, we we hide in our bedrooms, and uh, hide hide with Petey, and um, just to get away from all of that fear and and uh, and stuff. Um, now we had to move, right? And my, my my parents said, "There's no room in our new place because it's much smaller." Um, because my father wasn't doing well naturally. When you drink, you don't do well, and uh, so there wasn't going to be any room for Petey. And they, and my father promised that he had a friend out in Long Island, New York, who had a farm and a pond and a lot of ducks in the pond, and that he would take care of Petey, and I can go visit Petey once in a while. And I, you know, so you know, I, was, I was six years old, I think, six, seven years old. And uh, so I knew I had to give in, and so I did, but I, I I wanted to believe him, although my father really told me the truth, you know, yeah, um, about these kind of things. And then one Sunday afternoon, we're sitting down for dinner. And out of the oven comes this. My mother said it was a large chicken. And my sister and I knew it <laughs> oh, wasn't no. a large chicken. It was Petey. Oh, oh my no. God almighty. Can you imagine my reaction? Oh. Oh, God. And, of course, you know, they they, they went there. They ate Petey. Not me. I got screamed and hollered. My father threatened me that it wasn't Petey. My mother promised it was. But my... And then my mother said to him, I said, tell him it's not Petey. And my Marilyn said, but it is Petey. Oh, Bill. Oh, my oh. God. So uh, that, was, that was a horror story. That, you know, and when I when I read that, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. or I, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here today. I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm also crying. You know? Sure. <laughs> because it's a terrible, it was a terrible thing to do. But but they they, they needed something to eat, and, uh, and uh, then Petey wasn't going to come, and my father did not have a friend on Long Island who had a pond on his farm. Didn't have a, you know. yeah. so, uh, but that's the way it was, growing up in an alcoholic household. What, sure. do, what do you do, you know? Yeah, yeah. You bet. Uh, you and I have something uh, that is remarkably in common. I mean, obviously, you know, being people that have recovered from alcoholism, we have a lot of things in common. But one of the stories, and I just, I just had to crack up, and it's not a funny story. But uh, when I was when I was uh, in middle school or junior high school, uh, my, I think I was, I think it was seventh grade, so I was. No, it was sixth grade, so I was just out of elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, my dad was city manager in a town called Petaluma, California, and my parents went on some sort of city dinner thing, and I had a babysitter. We lived up against a hill, and it was summertime, and I decided that I was going to go out in the back and play with matches. Uh-huh. And I lit uh-huh. I lit the hill on fire, and I mean it was on fire. Wow. Um, wow. And I mean the police, you know, the police chief came. They had fire hoses going through our living room. My parents got called, Ooh. 
And so tell us a story about the fire, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's not a very laughable story. No. No. <laughs> I haven't set my house on fire in a long time, Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I was a kid. My father, it was, it was a few weeks before Christmas, and my father had repainted the whole kitchen for my mother Yeah. Uh, to get out of the doghouse, you know. So, uh, And uh, anybody left the brushes in a can of turpentine in the hallway. You know, we were we were up on the second floor above a, above a grocery store. And I don't know why. I just don't know why. Uh, and maybe it was the smell and whatever it was, the aroma. But um, I, I took a match, and I waved it over this can filled with turpentine. And all of a sudden, boom, the thing just blew up. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and the curtain on the, on the door caught fire. No, and so I ran into the kitchen. I got a glass of water, <laughs> and I threw the water onto the turpentine, and it splattered all over, and more fire came out. So my father was sleeping one off in the bedroom, and I went in screaming, hollering, and waking him up. And he came running out in his underwear, and and he kicked the turpentine can down the steps, which set all the steps on fire. Oh no! <laughs> and, and then, but then he calls a police, calls a fire department, and whatnot, and. And then he's trying to throw water on it. And for some reason, the fire department arrived pretty quickly. And uh, But the, it was a mess. It was really a mess. Part of the stairs were broken and burned out, and the whole kitchen was blackened and whatnot. And and, and, and uh, the end of the story is, as you mentioned, you know, you were questioned by the police and stuff, but the fire marshal shows up to find out what, what started the fire. Yeah. And I don't know whether my father was trying to protect me because he felt guilty about all the stuff he had done to me. I don't know why, but he tried to convince the fire marshal that it was a short circuit, you know, (laughs) and the fire marshal says, no, can't be, can't be. But why don't we ask your son? And I'm sitting there crapping in my pants. And uh, and he says, the fire marshal just looks down at me and he says, son, do you know how this fire started? (laughs) <laughs> and I broke out crying, <laughs> and he said to my father, "That's how it started, right there." <laughs> oh, I love that story. Oh, God, oh, oh my so word. I tell stories like that. I also told a story. Another, the only reason I told this other story, um, among many that I tell in the book, um, was because my father turned out to be a hero for me. Mm. This is a story where I was practicing for a play, a Christmas pageant, they called it, and I was in the second grade, I think, you know. And the nuns, the sisters, practicing us, wouldn't let me go to the bathroom. And I and I must have eaten something for lunch because I had diarrhea. Oh, no. And so I ran off the stage, and uh, fortunately I had knickers. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's where it stopped, in my knickers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I ran all the way to my grandmother's house, and um, and she threw me into the tub, and she's washing me down, and and by the way, I, I, I was practicing. I was going to be one of the. They were like elves, and there were shepherds, yeah. and there were brownies. There were brownies in this thing. They don't, they're like elves. You dance around, you know. Uh huh. And so my grandmother's washing me down, and her neighbor um, comes by because he was a nice guy, and he, he used to shop for her. He wanted to find out she needed anything from the store. And he, he sees that she's washing me down in the tub, and he says, "What happened to him?" And my grandmother says. He, she, he was practicing to be a brownie. <laughs> I, I think he got the part. <laughs> 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 
But then my uh, father went up to the nun and said, how dare you not let my son go to the bathroom and blah, blah, blah. So he became my hero for, for standing up for me in that one instance. Uh, so, yeah. Well, well, folks, I, I want to tell you that these and other stories, uh, this this wonderful book, a story of, of tragedy and also reconciliation and recovery, um, you really need to get this, you know, if for no other reason to read it and pass this on, uh, because I will tell you, um, there is a lie out there and the lie is that, uh, alcoholics and drug addicts and people who are very sick can't get well because they're just too stupid. And I am telling you right now, that is a bunch of BS. We do get well, we do recover. Mm-hmm. And we do pass this thing on, and thousands of people recover from this. True? Millions of people. Millions of people. All over the world, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I got to tell you, this is this is proof in the pudding right here. How I became my father a drunk, William G. Borchert. Uh, William, we're out of time. It went really fast. And, and I, I love it when you come on the show. Thank you so much. Is there any anything you'd like to share in closing? No, I just want to wish everybody a happy new year. And if anybody is out there with a hangover, please just uh, <laughs> pick up the phone and call for help, and you'll find a wonderful new life at the other end of the telephone. Yeah, uh, I know I did, and and uh, so I wish you all you wish you all the very very best, and and uh, and, and thank you for uh, watching my movies and reading my books, and and uh, I'll keep on keeping on. Thank yeah, you. you you bet. And so my last question for you is, what is in the mill cooking next for Bill Borchert? Well, I'm working on a, another book. Uh, just actually just started outlining it. I'm doing it with a doctor. And um, and it's going to be focused on marijuana because marijuana is, is a gateway drug. And, and, Good for and, you. And, and people around this country think it's not. And they're doing stupid things like legalizing it. Yeah, and uh, and it's and it's and it's just eating, going to eat eat our young people alive. So uh, this doctor asked me to work with him on it, and that's what I think we're going to be doing. Next. Well, I'm excited, and I want boy, you've got to get a hold of me when that thing, uh, right? You know, even before you launch it, so we can do a show uh, to help launch that because uh, this is a really pet big pet peeve with me. I cannot believe how many. A meeting attenders, I say meeting attenders, that does not mean they're in recovery. How many 12-step meeting attenders are for the legalization of marijuana? It just drives me crazy. I'm like, do you really think, do you really think that you can let the devil out of the box and expect him to behave? Right, yeah. Um, It's insane. Yeah, so I am so glad to hear that. So please stay in touch with me and, and keep me abreast of that, would you? I will, Monty. I will. Very, very good. Very good. All right, my friends. William Borchard has been uh, my guest this week. What an honor to have him on. The website is williamborchard.com. Uh, that's B-O-R-C-H-E-R-T. Go to the Just click on the link uh, on our website. Remember, you can follow us on iTunes and Amazon. I mean, uh, on uh, Potomatic. And, uh, well, there's all sorts of ways to listen to the show. Please feel free to download this show. You can burn it to a copy uh, on a CD if you'd like to share it with uh, folks in your home group. Feel free to do that. Lots of people do that. And uh, we're we're just happy to, to get this stuff in your hands. It doesn't cost a penny to do that. So 
feel free to to please do that. Our email address is take12radio at comcast.net. Comments on the shows. Let us know what you think. If you have any suggestions for shows, if you've got a story to tell, there's a link on our website that says be on the show. Uh, Click on that, fill out the form, and someone will get in touch with you. Thank you so much, Bill. Uh, Again, God bless you, brother. God bless you too, Monty, and thanks a million. I appreciate it. You betcha. All right, until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with my guest, William Borchert, and we're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. Yeah, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs>